Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Exhausted. Just got done shoveling snow. There was a lot of it. Oh my goodness, was there a lot of it. My back is achy. I'm glad to be sitting down. And I thought to myself, you know, self, what we should do for the kind people of Sacred City Moline is we should record another episode on the topic of anxiety. So that way they have something to listen to while they're pushing their snow. Maybe tonight, tomorrow, whenever you get around to it. I said, you know, that's a great idea. I'm just full of great ideas. And what I did in last episode, I, I wanted to ask a question because it comes up a lot. Is is anxiety a sin? And and hopefully I provided some clarity there. Like it doesn't, it, anxiety isn't necessarily a sin, but perpetuating a state of anxiety can be sinful in, in most situations. It is, but but the reality about anxiety is that. Um, it brings us up against the reality that we don't have as much control as we think we do. Anxiety is the desire to control the un- uncontrollable. Yet we're we're human. We're 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 limited in the sort of authority and control and just overall power that we have to control our surroundings and and sometimes to control ourselves. You know that that itself is a hard thing. But uh, which is why fruit of the spirit is self-control, um, supernatural power that uh, enables that, which that right there should blow blow your mind. Um, and so I was thinking, okay, we're coming up against the uh, the human aspect of us, just the limitedness of our humanity that we can't control everything, which um, will you know if, if you if you lean into anxiety with the gospel. Um, you know, it just pops up and you, you preach the gospel yourself. And, um, you know, by God's grace, anxiety slowly peels away. Some, it's not like a magic thing, you know, something that just constant reminders, um, to ourselves of, of who God is and who we are and how much he cares for us. And these plans to work everything out for our, all these things that we can go back to and preach the gospel to ourselves about. Um, but the question that I didn't ask was, is there such thing as godly anxiety. Now, I, I, I touched on it, but I did not explicitly unpack this because what I was trying to share with you in my, my big anxieties as a dad is that that anxiety ought to prompt us or be some sort of a, a warning indicator saying, hey, 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 pay attention here. Pay, look, look at what's going on that um, leads us not to an anxious state, but to a prayerful state. 
Okay. Things, things that are saying like, all right, things are beyond your control here. You can't control this. You can't force this or white knuckle this. What are you going to do about it? Well, are you going to stress about it? Are you going to worry about it? Are you going to grind your gut and gears over it? Or quit? Well, I don't even know what that saying was. Scratch that. Are, you know, are you going to grind yourself down to the dust with anxiety? Or are you going to turn to the father? Are you going to turn to him in prayer and entrust yourself to him? And so I think that there's a, a place for the conversation of godly anxiety um, and anxiety that looks like utilizing the agency that I have. So with my kids, like, you know, I'm scared of what, what their future will hold, right? There, there's fears and anxieties, worries that concerns and, and, and genuine ones, like r- real anxieties um, of living in this fallen world that I have. And I could stress about it. I could, you know, put it on my own shoulders to try to handle it, or I could turn it over to God. So in coming up against this anxiety, I think it's a a godly prompt. It's just a reminder for us to realize we're not in control and God is. And so what do we do about that? We go to the one who's in control. We have access to the throne room, throne room of grace that we can make our petitions made known before God. In fact, that's one of the things that, that Peter talks about is cast your cares, you know, make your petitions known to God because he cares for you. He loves you. So I think that there's a, a way to think of anxiety as it serves a godly function, not just a sinful one, um, not just like, oh, this is a fallen state, but it actually propels us into the arms of the Father. And I think there's a lot of different places um, that this comes up, not just parenting. I mean, you go down the list. I'm sure you've got a whole slew of things that you could say, all right, well, I think this is a place where God is actually, it's an invitation, really, to think of anxiety as an invitation to prayer. God's inviting me into that. Now, uh, I lost my train of thought for a second there. So what I was saying was having this godly response to anxiety, to, to go to God in prayer, um, and how that comes up No, And, and part of that is, okay, so I'm going to go to God, God in prayer. I got my train of thought back. I'm going to go to God in prayer and, uh, and petition before, for the one who has all power in heaven and on earth can do whatever he wants. He does all that he pleases. But then I also have agency. I have, it's limited. It's small in comparison to the power that God has, but there are things that I can do that help alleviate the thing that I fear from becoming a reality. So what I was talking about, creating a gospel culture in your home, making Jesus and his grace uh, the cornerstone of your family, right? That would be exercising agency to do something about that which you fear or that which could potentially, like a real threat, which could come to fruition, lest we, you know, fall asleep and not pay attention to it. And so I think that's, that's the... The, uh, you know, the bicycle pedals of godly anxiety is one pedal is prayer. I'm just, my anxiety is going to drive me to prayer. And my second thing that I'm going to do is exercise my agency that, that I talked about that, um, the actions and thoughts that I have matter. Okay. That the responsibility that I have, it matters. And God has the power to take whatever I do or whatever I say or whatever I can contribute and utilize them f- to serve his purposes. And so that's why, you know, we don't just, you know, throw our hands up in our and say, kids will be kids. They'll figure it out on their own. No, no, no. We, we put our heads down and we say, Jesus, will you help us to be the best godly parents that we can possibly be? 
Can you help me create a gospel culture in my home? Make prayer a part of our family uh, rhythms and, and Sunday worship part of something that we do every week as a family. Going to missional community and, and being invested in a, a, a church family, part of this thing. Like, so we exercise an agency. So there's, think of those as like the bicycle pedals. pedals. Like they're both happening simultaneously, you know, but there just might be seasons where you have to press down on one more than the other. Now that doesn't mean, you know, while you're exercising agency, you're like, okay, go, well, I'm going to do my own thing and I'll come back to you when I need your help. No, no, no. You prayerfully, you know, through the power of the spirit are exercising agency. So, so that's just one way of thinking of anxiety, um, not as an enemy, but as a helper of leading us into the arms of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons why I can come to this conclusion and say that that I think anxiety serves a godly purpose is that when we go to 2 Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul is listing out, it's in this section, it's like, hey, I could be a bozo like you guys and brag about all of the things um, that have gone wrong in my life. I can tell you how I've been shipwrecked and been sick and run out of town and flogged and all of these things, you know. And then he kind of says, and here at the top of it, here's the peak of my suffering. On top of everything that I've suffered suffered physically and the persecution that I've, I've suffered, I bear an anxiety, this burden for all of the churches. Now, this is interesting. The Apostle Paul, like... Aside from Jesus, like this is the guy that you would think in from a, that has it all together, right? He's after all, he's written like over half of the New Testament, and yet he says, "I bear anxiety for the churches," and and as I was preparing to preach the sermon on Sunday, I always do this. I always think about how. How am I going to preach this gospel myself? Because if I can't convince myself that this is good news, I'm going to have a hard time convincing other people this is good news. And so I'm thinking through and I'm wrestling through, you know, part of it was my anxiety as a dad, what I'm fearful of or what I worry about for my kids. But another piece of what I, and I think that's pretty relatable and that's why I chose to talk about it um, in the last podcast. But one of the pieces of anxiety that I feel in my life is probably not so relatable. And that is the anxiety that I feel as a pastor and as a church planner. That when Paul says, I bear the anxiety for the churches. Now I, I have one church. Okay. But I can relate to what he's saying here. Like this weight, this, this question of, is my work going to last? And not just my work, like is the gospel work going to last? And so this brings me into a couple things that I just want to briefly talk about in hopes that, because I pray through these a lot, this is stuff that I just constantly have to relinquish um, my control over and say, God, you, you're, you're the one who, who has the authority to, to see to this. I don't have this. But, but this is one way, one really practical and helpful way that you can be praying for me um, as scripture says to pray for your pastors. And, and so that is in, here's what I'm thinking about. My, you know, at the beginning of year one, year two, um, the question was, is this church plant going to last? That was my anxiety. Like, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it to year five? Because that's typically year five is when most church plants, uh, that that'll determine if you can get to year five of a church plant, there's a good chance that you're going to continue on in the future. 
And so I'm just like, are we going to make it that far? Can we make it? Can we have enough momentum? Do we have, do we have enough leaders? Do we have qualified leaders? Am I a good preacher? Which, you know, I, I bless you all for listening to my sermons for the first couple of years. Cause man, I tell you what, I was just learning myself. I was learning how to preach. I had, up to that point of pre, pre uh, of planting. I had maybe, maybe only preached 10 times. And then we just jump into it and week in and week out I'm preaching. And so it's like, you know, one of those scenarios you get thrown into the deep end. And I learned a lot of how to preach in that time. And, um, anyway, I appreciate you guys sticking around, sticking with me. Hopefully my preaching is better. I feel way more confident about it now. But, but that was my concern. Like, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Um, can we multiply missional communities? Can we, you know, actually make disciples, get people not just to come check out this new thing, but to be invested in it in a way where God actually changes their life and they see this as a vital part of their discipleship and, and their spiritual life. And so that was the anxiety that I felt. Now, COVID, I'll tell you what, COVID has sort of made that anxiety pop up a little bit even even more so in this last year. We just celebrated our fourth year. Year three, things were looking pretty good. We had a lot of momentum behind us. Looking forward to um, a strong uh, fourth year to move into more autonomy with having... Uh, you know, we've got some elder candidates working through the process and in hopes that maybe God would uh, make it clear that it was time to appoint um, a plurality of elders after going through the process, uh, hoping that we'd be financially, um, you know, autonomous. Um, so not just leadership, financial, um, that we'd see some multiplication, see some good gospel growth going on, you know, so, and COVID came. And, uh, you know, all of those anxieties pop back up again. It's like, are we going to make it? Are we going to be able to um, reimagine church in this season so that people stay connected, that st they still see Jesus as and the local church as essential part of their spiritual life and, and not just spiritual life, but for human flourishing? And so that those are the things that were sort of, of nagging at me. And, and, you know, honestly, going in, into this year, um, still kind of like that stuff's still kind of there. I'm, I'm hoping like, but we just multiplied a missional community. So I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here, here, but, but the reality of like, we, we're still kind of in a vulnerable position as a quasi church plant. You know, a lot of things have, you know, the church building makes it look like we're not a church plant anymore, but that's all, that's just, uh, that's just, um, uh, you know, optics. Um, there's, there's still a lot of ways that we are kind of in this church plant phase. So that that's one of the questions, the anxieties, the the worries that I have for Sacred City is: are we are we going to make it through? Keep, keep going another year after year. But the other thing that man, that really, really, actually dominates my mind more than anything, is that will we continue to be a gospel centered, Bible believing? I'm not just saying like, yeah, there's a few things in the Bible that we agree with, but literally, the, it's the Word of God. It's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's inerrant that we can trust it. It's fully reliable. That's what I mean by a Bible believing church. Are we going to still be that kind of gospel centered, Bible believing church, Jesus proclaiming church when it's wildly unpopular? Are we going to continue to hold to the Christian values, whether that's uh, matters of, of sexual ethic, uh, of of our view on um, biblical personhood, of God created man and woman, um, and every cell in your body tells you right what you are biologically. That that's a concern. 
Um, and with that, there, you know, are we going to hold to a biblical view of marriage and and the family? Because I don't know if you know this, but but these things are wildly under attack right now. Like it's as Christians, we like to think that it's something that that's just. I don't know, that's set in stone. And and as biblically, Bible-believing Christians say, yes, this should be set in stone. This is a non-negotiable thing. God articulates very clearly his design design for uh, human, uh, biblical humanhood, um, biblical marriage, um, the family. And so it's something that, you know, maybe we take for granted, but more and more culture is attacking this, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, literally, a congressman, I don't know, some some political official was saying a prayer, which just made me laugh because he was like praying to every known God in the world. It's like, what in the world is this? Like, okay, whatever. But he ends his prayer, no joke. He says, amen and a woman. He says, amen and a woman. Thinking that when you say amen, which means like, let it be so. It's sort of an emphatic hurrah, you know, let it be. He thinks it's a genderized saying, which is just completely ignorant and adds to it, a man and a woman. See, like, this is like, this is the idiocracy that's going on right now. And, uh, and, and even with the Senate, like striking any sort of like, um, gender specific pronouns that that was something that was presented and it's like how in the world can you can Nancy Pelosi introduces this and says hey we're, we're just gonna use gender inclusive pronouns now and then she just goes on to say I'm a wife and a mother it's like well you you just broke your own rules lady and so there, there are some real things that like the foundations of Christian society are are um, under attack. And, and eventually the church and the state, I think, are going to come to a head. Like the way that our, our country was designed, that there was this separation of the church and the state, that there was some sort of mutual respect. The church uh, was seen as uh, taking care of spiritual matters and, and overall um, human flourishing, speaking into those matters, whereas the state exercised law uh, in order to restrain evil and to promote what is good. Yet, uh, really, the church has, I mean, only the gospel can create a good person through the righteousness of Christ. And so there was this clear respect between the church and the state. And now, more and more, the church and the state are coming, you know, they're in conflict with one another. They're, they're coming head to head. And, you know, maybe it'll be my lifetime, maybe it'll be my kid's lifetime, that there's going to be the, you know, the religious liberties that we get to enjoy as Americans I think are in grave danger of of being swept away. That's why uh, the founder said this is this is a democracy, right? Here, here's the rights that you have, uh, unless unless you can keep it. Yep, that's the uh, the warning signals there for that. I think it's providence. So anyway, uh, back to what I was talking about. Um, just the anxiety that I feel. So it's not so much are we going to make it, but it's like. Are we going to stay true? Are we going to stay true to God's word? Are we going to continue to be a gospel-believing, Jesus-proclaiming church that even in the face of oppression and persecution, what Jesus said, hey, listen, if they oppress, persecuted me, if they oppressed me, uh, you're going to get oppressed too. 
like we should expect that. And in fact, that's that's one of the things that as we've been reading through, uh, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, that's at the end of chapter five, Jesus said, hey, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Why? Because because you share in my sufferings, you share in my name, you, you, you are persecuted for my name's sake, great will be your reward in heaven, okay? And so I'm afraid that, that we will get so short-sighted about uh, the reward that we have in ha- heaven for faithfulness to the word of God, um, to the gospel, to proclaiming the, the magnificent glories of Jesus from, from each corner of the globe, which is sort of a paradox, but from each corner of the world um, to, to reach all peoples, all tongues, all tribes, all nations. We get short, so short-sighted about that and, and the little persecution or um, oppression or marginalization that we might experience stops us from doing that, stops us from being gospel-proclaiming people. And that's not just something that I fear for our church, but I'm honestly, you look at our city and there are more city, more churches in our city right now that hold to unorthodox Christian ideas and I'm not even talking like specific, like you can be, you can be Methodist and hold, hold to Orthodox theology. You can be Lutheran and hold to Orthodox, you know, the tenets of, of, uh, Orthodox tenets of the faith. Like you can be Presbyterian, you can be Baptist, you can be whatever, you can be Foursquare, you can be, you know, there's some stuff that on the tertiary stuff, we're probably going to disagree with, but the central stuff, right? The foundational stuff about what the distinctiveness of what Christianity is, most, a lot of these churches in our area have lost the gospel. We've traded it in for some sort of moralistic, therapeutic deism, right? Where God's our little genie in the bottle. We can, we rub it when we need help and he'll come to help us. And God really just wants us to have a happy life and to just do whatever little good that we can. It's like, that's, that's so truncating what God's vision is for the church. And then you get all sorts of stuff with like, you know, the church is like, hey, maybe we can, uh, you know, leave behind orthodox views on on sexuality and uh, the family and personhood and, and try to be more accommodating to what our culture has. But guess what? Those are the churches that are closing their doors. They're, they're you know, they're... Uh, they're playing to what they think the culture wants them to do, but the culture just really wants them to shut up. Now, there is something about the enemy. Like Satan wants the church to lose its true identity, it lose its true gospel identity. And in some ways, he's just happy. He's just as happy seeing a church close down as he is seeing a church liberalize and move away from the word of God and insist on doing things our own way. And there right now are more churches in our city that are doing that than holding fast to the scriptures, holding fast to the message that is of first importance, that which Paul preached in First uh, Corinthians, right? That is Christ and him crucified. It's not three ways to get a happy marriage. It's not three ways to, you know, make your boss like you better. Three ways to raise godly children. That's not, that's not the gospel, people. And we're losing that. My fear is that we would be one of those churches, that we would lose sight of how glorious Jesus is, of how beautiful, how compelling he is, and the power that he has to sustain us through all the trials and tribulations that the church will have. Now, here's here's the hope that I have. While I feel this, this pain, this anxiety, right? Raising up leaders, making sure people are equipped as disciples, making sure our, our theology, that our worship is true, orthodox and true to the scriptures, right? That we're not just out on some sort of like, 
charismania, Bethely sort of like emotionalism stuff, like being people who are rooted in the word of God and let that determine, like we use that to speak to our feelings and use that to speak to our anxieties rather than the other way around. I feel that anxiety. And here's my hope. Before the church has even started, right? Before the church is even a thing, Jesus looks on at Peter. He says, you, Peter, are a rock. And, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this is a great comfort that I have. So if you go through all of the, all, if you go through the scriptures, you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that God always done, we see this cycle of, of renewal and then regression. Okay, renewal and then people veer away. You know, a recommitment to God and then, you know, things get comfy and they sort of peace out. And, and part of that is, you know, and through all of that reality of that sort of resurgence that and, and, and the, you know, the tide going out and in sort of a thing, God always keeps a faithful remnant. There has never been a moment in, in human history where there was someone who did not believe in God. Like the true God, Yahweh, right? The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. The, the God of David, the God who sent his one true son to save the lives of many by going to the cross. God has always kept for himself a remnant of people. Now, our hope as a church is that, you know, maybe the maybe the days of, of regression are behind us. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think there's a lot of things I would point to right now. We're kind of in a, in a societal regression. But I, I hope that there would be some point in my lifetime, if not my lifetime, my kid's lifetime, where they see this gospel renewal, this new wave uh, of rejuvenation that happens uh, where God takes that, that remnant of people, those people who, who are faithful and true, and, and they surge forward um, in mighty ways with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Right, to make disciples, to plant churches, to renew the city, to see that every nook of cranny of our city would become a sacred space. That there would be no divide of secular and sacred. That everything, though it is already right now, ultimately under the lordship of Jesus, right? It all belongs to Jesus. Uh, Abraham Kuyper says, There's not one square there is not one square inch in all of creation where the Lord Jesus doesn't point and look at and say, Mine. It's all his. But there would become this reality among us that this all belongs to Jesus, that we belong to him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is my only hope in life and death? That I am not my own. I belong, heart and body, soul, completely to Jesus. And so my hope is that God will not let the church die the capital C church, sacred city, Lord forbid it could be here for, you know, five years, 10 years, you know, 20. I hope it's a lot longer. I hope it's a hundred, 200, 300, 400. I hope it's, I hope sacred city stands until Jesus comes back. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I had some guy when we had that big derecho, uh, come through looking at the roof and, and looking at some shingles and he goes over the sanctuary. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure these shingles are going to last until Jesus comes back. So I feel pretty good about that, that 
that we can we could have this church standing here until Jesus comes back, Lord willing. But that it would be a church that's faithful to Jesus, a church that's faithful to the word of God, the church that doesn't create a God in their own image and get the word of God to tweak and, and twist and bend to get it to say what we want it to say. But instead, we let God's word twist and bend and tweak us. That's the kind of church I want us to be. And I know that God will forever keep a remnant, that he's always faithful to his promises, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the end, Jesus wins, right? That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. In the end, Jesus wins. And all of the saints, all of the angels, all of the faithful remnant will be brought into uh, the throne room of God to sing worship and praise forever. And this is not some like floating on the cloud sort of scenario, like harps and, you know, cheesy stuff like that. Like this is the most satisfying. I, and I think on Sunday mornings, you get a glimpse of this, right? You get swept up in the glory of God as we sing about the beauty of it. Like you, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have this sense of like you, you get lost in time for a moment. And that's what it's going to be like, swept up in the worship of God. For he is worthy. And if he's worthy at the end of history, he's, he's worthy as history is being written to remain faithful, to remain true, to not forsake him, to not depart from him because Jesus doesn't leave or forsake us. And so that's my hope in all this. That's my hope as I carry a pastoral burden and anxiety for our church that Jesus will fulfill his promises. That the church, capital C Church, will prevail. And my hope is that Sacred City Church will prevail, but even if it doesn't, even if its doors close at some point, Jesus is still faithful. He's still going to see us all through to the end. He's holding on to us. And so that's my hope. So anyway, I, I, I share that with you to share with you, maybe kind of like pull back the curtain, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what pastoral ministry is like, um, about, you know, Oh, I just get to show up on Sundays and preach and do the fun stuff. It's like, you know, I don't think people really understand the weight. And, and, and I think it's a different kind of weight. So you might have a really, you know, if you're a doctor, um, you got people's lives on your hand. Um, if you're a lawyer, you know, people, maybe they're going to get locked up in jail forever. Right. You, in some way you're responsible for that. Like, I think that there is a weight, there's a responsibility, there's an anxiety that probably accompanies those occupations. As a mother, you're going to mess up your kids. As a dad, you're going to mess up your kids, right? There's a, a burden that comes with that. But with this this office of elder, um, there is a, a extra weight that's added that isn't just a temporal thing, um, but an eternal significance. And so I just want to share that with you um, because I want to keep doing this for a long time. I want to keep being a, I want to be your pastor. I want to pastor Sacred City Church as long as the Lord has me here. And I want him to keep me from moral failure. Uh, I want him to keep me from uh, the sin of pride where that would get in and tank a church. And you've seen it over and over again um, throughout the years that God would make me a humble, prayerful um, spirit reliant pastor that shepherds these people that he puts in my hands and my care to the best of my ability with the help of the spirit. And the only way that I can keep doing that long haul is if people are praying for me 
And if you're listening and, and Sacred City Moline isn't your home, your church home, you got to pray for your pastor. Now, I don't know who the heck's listening to this because, you know, who am I? But that's that's such a, a an important thing to be doing that serves. Uh, it's an incredible blessing to me um, to be lifted up. But, but the, those are some of the anxieties that I face. In regards to the pastoral ministry that I share with the Apostle part, which says, I feel the burden for all the churches. Well, I feel the burden for this church. And that the Lord would help me sense that. And it turned into a godly anxiety where I exercise my agency to the best of my ability to do what I, what's in my care or what's what I'm capable of doing, to do it with the Lord's help, but then ultimately turn to God and, and realize that God is in control, that this church is his, not mine, and that he's going to see it through to the end. And if Sacred City doesn't, there's going to be a remnant. That remnant will be preserved until the day of Christ. And so please pray for me. I pray for you often. In fact, I've got an app on my phone. Uh, here's a little plug for you. I think it's called Prayer Mate. It's a little, it's a little app. Uh, I think it's yellow. It's got a yellow icon. If you set it up, it took me about 20, 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes to set up. Okay, so I have these different sections that I pray for. I pray for my family every day. I get a new family member to pray for in my my nuclear family. I pray for them in general, but specifically, uh, I pray for uh, the guys in my fight club um, and the elder cohort. Um, I pray for the people in my missional community by name. Um, and, and at the beginning of the year, we went around and we shared things that we were hoping that God would do in our lives this year. And so I know what to pray for them about specifically. Um, so those things are in my phone. I pray for every member of Sacred City Church um, by name um, on a rotation. So I probably pray for everybody by name once a month um, at least. And then I've got people that I'm on mission to, um, people at the gym, people that I know from other places in the city, um, the coffee shops that I go to, I'm praying for them. And so that's a plug for prayer mate. If, you, if prayer is hard, just get one of those things. And there's all kinds of really cool features that uh, you can utilize there. But that's one of the ways. Put me on your prayer mate app. Uh, put me on your prayer list. And pray for those things specifically, that God would give us the endurance and God would give us faithfulness, that we would press on, not just for this generation or the next, but the generation after that, um, that we would become a, a church. You know, my, my friend Cole um, pastors a church, Frontier Church. We're not just planting a church for our children, but for our grandchildren, that we would be that kind of generational, have that sort of um, longevity view. Even Jonathan Edwards said he used to, he would used to pray for his his uh, family to the 10th generation. Isn't that wild? To pray, you know, that we would be that kind of church, that we're praying that God would give us that kind of longevity. And with that longevity, he'd give us a gospel faithfulness to his word. 